I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody, and welcome aboard. Lieutenant Joe Pangaro here. So when we look out over the landscape of our nation, we see that there's more turmoil in more places than there probably has been in many years. Now, we've been chaotic, no doubt, since 2016. The world has turned on its head because we saw the emergence of Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump is simply the vessel of change that really has caused the problem. There's, there's been a build, I believe, from what I see, a buildup across our nation as we start to see uh, the elites, the people who make the decisions about how things go in our country, the laws, the expenditure of money, the taxes, everything else that affects our lives. Up until that point, we kind of dealt with it. We might not have liked uh, some of the policy that was out there. We might have gone back and forth about it. We changed parties back and forth like yo-yos. But it wasn't until it really kind of reached a boiling point, and that was Donald Trump. That's what allowed him to step into the arena and to beat back all of the other candidates in the Republican Party. Now, Ted Cruz, I think, is a good man. I think he's very, very smart. I think he's a conservative. I think he's brilliant. I think he'd be a great president of the United States. Uh, Jeb Bush... Maybe not so much. I mean, Jeb apparently was a good governor of Florida, did the right things. But that style, the Bush style, let's put it that way, the Bush style of governance is not right for the times. The times demand a more assertive, change-oriented kind of a person. And that is why the nation flocked to Donald Trump, because we all felt at least the majority of us that voted for him, that something was not right. And the rise the rise to prominence of Hillary Clinton, because it was her turn, she deserved it. She was part of the elite, and she was going to be the president of the United States. And all, and all of this was, we saw through it. And I think that was the breakthrough moment that basically, think of this. Think of a, a bucket filled with water. And the water represents the building tensions in our country, this, this feeling of unease that social media has too much control over us, that uh, we're, not, we're not properly represented by those that we vote for. The two different sides, the conservative and liberal sides of uh, our political thinking, uh, had really reached a fever pitch. And instead of arguing our points, it now became an all-out uh, attack for power. And if you poke a hole in the bucket at the top where the water is, you will get some water dribbling out. Right? You'll get some water dribbling out because the pressure uh, is not as great at the top of the bucket. But if you punch a hole at the bottom of the bucket, that water is going to pour out very powerfully. And Donald Trump was the was the hole in the bottom of the bucket. 
right? The Bush people and all the other candidates we had at the time, the rhinos, the uh, socially socially uh, progressive liberal Republicans that were running on that side, they were the hole punched at the top. You know, they were going to they were going to do some things to fix some things to you know, get some Supreme Court justices that might look at the Constitution and not try to be activists. And, you know, okay, that's a good idea. But they were a dribble out of the bucket. And I believe that Donald Trump, when he came along, people saw that we needed a hole at the bottom of the bucket. We needed some real change. Now, say what you will about Donald Trump. Uh, The reality is he delivered on what he said he was going to do. And whether you're a conservative or a liberal, the country was in a better place during his presidency. Now, you might not have liked him personally, but I think the animosity about Trump was that, number one, he wasn't one of those elites. He wasn't an elite person. He wasn't a Clinton family member, a Bush family member. And not so much that the people out in the country, the actual men and women who make up this country, but in the political class, the political class, the, the, the uh, Roman Senate that we have that gets in there and they stay there for their entire lives, which is part of the problem, uh, they, they didn't want somebody coming in and shaking it up. Now, I've said this many times. It's pretty clear uh, to me, having been on the planet now uh, 60 years, that when you see major problems and you see people that are supposed to fix those problems only half fix them, or give it an attempt, but don't go all the way. Uh, don't stand up for their principles. Don't, uh, don't, go, don't put themselves at risk uh, to, to, main, to lose their power uh, so that they can maintain it. When you see that, you have to realize that, that that's not representation. That is allowing people to maintain their lifestyle that you and I don't have, right? One of the things I think when we think of our forefathers, uh, the founding fathers who, who set up the Constitution and the system of government, one of the reasons the House of Representatives was supposed to be so powerful is because it, it's supposed to represent us, the men and women. The whole idea was you went there for two years. Two years is very, very short period of time, really, in life. As you start to get down the road, maybe at 15, getting to your driver's license at 17 seems like forever. But you know, once you become an adult, two years is nothing. It's a blink of an eye. So you're supposed to go to Congress, uh, the real people, supposed to go there and voice the opinions of the people and legislate the way the people back at home feel about things, what they think is right, wrong, indifferent, how they want their lives to to go, etc., what they want from their government and don't want from their government. And then you had the Senate, which was set up with a six-year term, so that the senators could, you know, take the energy and the power and the the efforts of the House of Representatives, and then they would mull it over and give it a little more thought and now compare it to some different things. So you had two different groups built in there. What we we have now, though, is a is a permanent Congress. I mean, you unless you uh, murder somebody on TV. Uh, you get elected to office, the chances are pretty good you're going to stay there, not for two years or four years, and then go back to your life the way the founding fathers envisioned. Uh, you, you see congressmen there, you know, 16-term congressmen, that's 35, 30 years or whatever, you know. It doesn't serve us to have that because do you and I feel we have any power? Do you and I feel that anything that we, we believe happens? 
I, I don't I don't feel it does. I feel very un uncomfortable about it. Um, I'm very uncomfortable about the way things are going. But anyway, it's this 2016 uh, was the start of what's going on, and we saw a lot of a lot of change. Now we we go through fits and changes in our nation, where we have these big pushes uh, to change the social fabric, the social order. Now in the past. We saw that we had, uh, and I'm talking about going way back. We we start the country, and we're moving along, and we had some we had some major issues we had to tackle. So, in the early 1800s, which you know we think about the 1800s is like the modern time, but you think how long ago that was. The country was only what 24 years old uh, in in the 18 in the early 1800s, and we start to see this buildup of societal angst over slavery, and what did that mean for us as a people? Uh, it was an economic engine for the South, no doubt about it. Uh, it was a remnant of the past, uh, the past before the modern time. I mean, slavery, everyone has enslaved everyone. I'm not making excuses for it. It was an abomination and it was abhorrent, but it wasn't unusual. You know, you go back to prior to 1800, uh, and you look back through the history of mankind everywhere, you look everywhere on the planet, one stronger group enslaved another group, conquered them, took their things, took their women, their children, and their goods, uh, destroyed them, wiped them out. This is the history of human beings. It's, it's, it's the nature. So that ancient, that ancient um, expression of our humanity, uh, in the 1800s, we started to say, wait a minute, you know, this is, this is not right. Uh, this is this is disgusting. This is hard. We we we're, we have to think better now, you know. And I think you know, I'm, I'm conflating a lot of things here. So just stay on the ride with me, if you will, my friends. What happens is, as we went from um, farming people, as we started to industrialize, and and this is all my thought. This is where I'm thinking this all came from. As we started to have better lives, right? You start to get into the world where now you have you know, houses, and you have, uh, you know, better homes. Now they've had homes for hundreds of years. That's not what I mean. Follow along, please. Um, as, as we started to modernize, and we started to create an economy where everyone could enjoy some of these things, our thinking starts to change. So this really connects to my, uh, my belief that I have stated here before, is that when we have nothing, and we have to spend our lives satisfying Maslow's hierarchy uh, of uh, needs. You know, we need shelter, we need security, and we need food and water. Uh, when those are your every single day uh, battles, that you have to make sure you have a place that is safe. You have to make sure you have a shelter. Make sure you have to have food and water just to live. If that takes all of your energies, that's all you can really concentrate on, right? And that is really the outflow of conquer. You have the, whoever the leader is, and our people need security from the, uh, the groups in the neighboring area who want to come and take us, so we have to fight back. We create uh, armies, we create people, militias, whatever they are, throughout time, what we've called them, to fight back those who would attack us and take us. Uh, so that's the security component. Once we take them and we beat them in battle or defeat our enemies in battle, we either take their stuff, their lands, and we can now feed ourselves, and then we can have shelter because we're not at war, right? So that's, 
the other side of that, of course, is if you're an aggressive nation and you decide, like the Romans, right? Think about the Romans. Uh, they created an empire and they went and took over other places and that enriched them. And the people of Rome uh, had, a, had a much better life than a lot of the groups they were conquering. And this has been the history of humanity all across uh, time. And when we got to the 1800s, I think the prosperity that started to grow in America started to give us time to go beyond Maslow's hierarchy of basic needs, right? We, we, we had security, we had shelter, we had food, we we're growing farming uh, um, country, right? We started to provide food for ourselves. We started to look at the, the abomination of slavery and as a collective, we said, hey, wait a minute, this is not right. This is, this is evil. We had time to think about it, right? And said no. And that led to the Civil War. Now, it wasn't the only thing that led to the Civil War, but it was a major split in our country over where, how do we go forward? So that was the major split we had at that particular time. Well, this is what happens in America. We get to these, these major boiling points and society is dragged forward uh, one way or another, good or bad. So when we experienced that, that got us through and, and we had the Civil War. It was very traumatic, but we reunited as a nation. We got rid of slavery, which was the absolute right thing to do. That doesn't mean that there were not lasting effects from such a thing. Now, we are, you know, from 1860 to, to where we are today right, to uh, 1860 to 1960, that's a hundred and, what, 160 years since we, people owned slaves in America. That, that's a, that's a, that's almost in the lifetime of some people. You know, I mean, you, you look three generations, four generations, and people actually knew people who were slaves. They have them in their family. They knew people who owned slaves. It was terrible. And it's not that far in our past, which is why the wound is still so painful. And for us to move forward, from that major change led us into the the next steps after the civil war we saw our country become more prosperous we saw the invention what look at the inventions that took place you know in the 1860s all the way to say the 1960s that period of 100 years right they invented cameras now that seems like no big deal but now we could actually document our history we had pictures of it something we never had before. We had the invention of radio, where we could talk to each other. We had the communications. All of these things that, that humanity had never seen before, we start to have. How about the invention of the vehicle, of a car, right? These old-fashioned cars, we look at the Model A's, Model T's, and all, that revolutionized humanity and helped us to grow. The advent of fossil fuels, Finding fossil fuels to give us this powerful, powerful energy that really stoked our uh, industrial complex, which led us to the next major movement, where now we are an industrialized country. Our cities are teeming. People are coming here. We're growing in power. Uh, and, and then Europe devolves into another great war, World War I. Uh, you know, the Europeans, like the rest of the planet, have been fighting with each other forever over land, money, wealth, resources. And we saw World War I. Well, the, the United States now goes there as an independent country from 1914, right? Uh, we, we had barely been 100 and, and, and 
25 or 130 years old, and here we are going into the World War I and basically make the difference in World War I and settle, settle the hash of Europe, so to speak. Um, and that, that makes us more powerful. We continue to grow and grow. But what happens in the world? Does the world learn from that lesson? No. Right after World War I, we start to see the building in the world of resentment and anger. Again, in Europe, America is having its own growth spurts here. Um, people are, are dealing with this new modern America, a world that we had never seen before. Uh, think, and I want to go back to that for a minute. Think of the, the technological changes from 1860 to 1960. How about the evolution of flight? The Wright brothers, what, 1906 at Kitty Hawk? And they develop a plane that flies 22 feet, and everyone, wow, we're like the birds now. And that was in 1906. 63 years later, a mere 63 years later, a lifetime uh, of one individual, we landed men on the moon. We created rockets and the ability to send people into outer space, off our planet, to another uh, object in space and land there and bring them back safely. Think of the technological advancement in that hundred years of time. This changes people's thinking. This changes economics. It changes everything that happens. And this is where we see uh, World War II now explodes in America, which is now industrialized. Its people are organized. We see the evil of Nazis. The Nazis are... When we look back at the Nazi rise and the fascists in Italy, this is just, if, I, if you look at the world history like a book and you go back in time, you saw great empires that conquered their neighbors and destroyed. Now you turn the page, the Ottoman Empire, then this empire, then the Roman Empire. You, you go through it. Well, the world was modernizing in that hundred years that I'm talking about, 1860 to 1960. One of the rises there was a traditional human uh, fact of life. You had the rise of, of uh, totalitarian government, the Nazis, the uh, fascists in Italy, the Japanese Imperial Army. You saw all of these things that throughout history, they have been with us forever. Only this one, we could hear on the radio, we saw pictures of, we saw movie films of. It was something that wasn't going on somewhere out there. It was, it, we were living it. We were seeing it and living it, and we, we fought and lost lots of people. It was a devastating war to the whole entire planet. But that was a movement that included the whole world where we had to change. Well, what happens after World War II? We become an economic and military superpower. But shortly thereafter, aren't we back into another conflict with now the Soviet Union? Because of what? The technological rise of the ability to fight war. Because we have, uh, and I know I'm conflating a lot of things for you, I, I, but when you see these things, they connect together. We have fossil fuels, which is an unbelievable power source that powers our vehicles, heats our houses. Uh, we, we use it for everything. And it powers our military so that we can fight. We can send ships across the ocean. We can send airplanes, right? New technology to fight each other. We came up with all these new things. And now, now then comes the advent of nuclear power. Think about that. In that hundred years of growth 
from 1860 to 1960, human beings figured out how to unleash the power of a nuclear reaction, one of the elemental things of the universe. We figured out how to do it in a metal casing that we could drop on somebody else and use it as a weapon. This changed the world, didn't it? Didn't we then go into the Cold War? Now, historically, where just the 1940s, when one group had guns and, and regular traditional bombs, airplanes and weapons, they moved on their opponents and they had traditional war, right? They blew things up, they killed, shot people uh, and, and took over land. Now with the advent of nuclear power, the idea of attacking your neighbor slowed down a little bit because now if somebody's got a nuclear bomb, we saw the devastation that it can have. It gave us pause. It changed one of the things that we do as human beings, which is to attack and kill each other. Now, that didn't mean wars and fights and skirmishes didn't go on all over the globe. Still, they did. But amongst the powers that fought each other that did not have nuclear power, right? If you fought the Soviet Union, you might get nuked. If you fought the United States, you might get nuked. But if you were Spain and didn't have a nuclear weapon and you wanted to fight against Portugal, uh, you just you did it the traditional way. Unless they had an ally of the Soviet Union or the United States that would step in with a nuclear bomb, you had a traditional war. South America, all the wars that were going on. Because there was no ultimate weapon like that. Okay? So that's, that's a little far afoot. But do you see what I'm saying about the technology? And that hundred years has changed everything. What I'm bringing this to is that Donald Trump is an individual. He's one person. He's a human being with his background, his personality, everything. But he came on the, on, the, on the stage in America, the preeminent country on the planet, and he came out as someone who was going to be an agent of change because we were all feeling this angst that the situation was becoming too much. Right? We weren't being represented. Things are not going the right way. We are seeing at this time what I think a lot of people who are conservative, traditional Americans were seeing was the inevitable rise of socialism and communism rearing its ugly head. We had fought this since the Soviet Union when it became a real problem. Right? We saw the rise of the Chinese communists. We saw all the, the communism and the socialism going on in South America. And it's amazing to me that this, in our modern era, the concept of socialism is still, is still viable, that people still look at it and say, yeah, that's a pretty good way to go. I think we should do that. Uh, but we never thought we'd see it here in America, did we? But we are seeing that rise in socialism. This is what led to the right and the left being so diametrically opposed to each other that that's what filled the bucket of tension with water. And in 2016, Donald Trump came on the stage and he said, listen, we, we, we got to change this. The trajectory is not good. He was the big hole in the bottom of the bucket and a lot of pressure was relieved. And this is another moment in American history and human history when we are at a crossroads. We are at, truly at a crossroads now because the idea of freedom, liberty, justice, the Constitution, the rule of law, uh, Everybody's got an equal shot at things, not an equal outcome, an equal shot at things is changing. The whole paradigm that we, we thought we would have our entire lives is changing. 
did you ever think that free speech would actually be considered uh, hate speech and maybe we should control what some people say? Do you realize what that is? Do you realize what an attack that is? A step backwards. Well, you hurt people's feelings when you say things that they don't like. So we're going to silence you. Well, is that, is that possible? Well, one of the ways we communicate through the, modern, through the modern world is social media. And what did we see in the 2020 election? We saw such a buildup of resentment of the two different opposing ideologies, freedom, liberty, and socialism, banging their heads directly at one another. And again, all of this is possible because we are a nation of abundance. We are a nation where people have time to think and they come up with these ideas and this would be a better way to do things. We are at a pivotal moment in American history and human history. We are seeing the repeat of uh, of the of the scale of events that has taken place forever in humanity. Do we now have the possibility of war with China and with Russia and the United States? Do we not see the countries of the world choosing sides as to who they would go with? And a lot of them are choosing by uh, not, not what's in their best interest of their people, what's in the best interest of their leadership uh, and their elites. You know, hey, if we go, with the, we go with the Chinese, they're getting pretty strong. They might take over the world and we want to be on that side. Or does the United States maintain freedom and liberty? And that's what we think is important. And we'll side with the United States. The world is in flux. Donald Trump... Like I said, is just a man, but he came along at the moment in history that really punched a hole in that bucket. And now we're starting to see the possibility of great change, conflict, and another change in the paradigm of the United States and the world. So we go through these these big shakeouts. Uh, every every multiple decades go by, and, and things change. We are now at the point where what I, I never thought was possible to see the rule of law be considered a joke. If you're in power and you control the, the, uh, the court system, you control the justice system, and you don't want to go by the rules of law and all the other things that, we've, that have been what the glue that's held us together for liberty and justice, if you want to ignore that and you have a media that ignores it because it furthers your uh, perspective or point of view, then they just trample over people's rights and no one can stop it. That is what this tension we are all feeling is now. Do you feel that the justice system is fair to you when we see what goes on with these elites, when we see what happens to the politicians, when we see what happens to uh, those who are in favor you know, the, the Justice Department is supposed to be an independent group. Now, the, the head of the Justice Department, the Attorney General, is appointed by the president of the party that's in power. And, of course, they're going to pick somebody who's going to have their philosophy. That's how it works. Maybe that should be an independent agency. There should be two Attorney Generals, one from each party that has equal power, and then they could that would keep them straight. Wouldn't that be mutually assured destruction? Wasn't that the idea of that nuclear thing? We have a bomb, you have a bomb, so we don't kill each other? Well, if we have two attorney generals that have equal power, one from each party, maybe there wouldn't be so much corruption because one party would keep an eye on the other party and call them out. I don't know. It's something to think about. But this, this is what's running through my mind uh, as we move forward. We'll be back in a minute with more.
This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Okay, we are back. I don't want to tell you real quick, uh, if you're looking to enhance your health, make yourself healthier so you can enjoy your life, right? Consider the Healthy Cell line of products. Now, they don't sponsor my show. I just use them personally. Uh, I saw them on the network here, and I tried them, and I've used them for a while, and I've told you about it. I've been very open and honest about it. I find that the uh, Immune Boost product is excellent. It has really helped me uh, enhance my health uh, as I grow through life, and I'm trying to stay busy and do a lot of things. Uh, I know that the sleep product works for people. I've seen the testimonies, and I know someone who's done it. Uh, and I know that the focus factor has actually worked for people I know who needed a little more focus in their factors. Uh, so if you're looking for something to help yourself, consider the Healthy Cell products. They are actually very, very good, and they're on here, the network everywhere. So I wanted to just throw that out there as we get started, because sometimes I forget, and it's an important message to get out. Health is health is important, health and mental health and all that. All right, so in our first, in our first uh, part of our get-together today, I was trying to knit this, this picture of, of change and how it how it comes about is in my, in my perspective. Now I know this historian sitting out there taking notes. Lieutenant Joe, you got this wrong about World War One. You got this wrong. I get it. I'm giving the big picture here. The big picture, as I see it, these waves of change 
of humanity as we go through time, as we move through time. And I find that the advent of a couple of things, technology and the ability to have free time is really what is leads to the, to the conflicts. Because the natural built-in conflicts of humanity is to live under a tyrannical leader. That is how we have always been. Every group in the world throughout history has lived like that. Some were more benevolent than others. Some shared their wealth with their people. Others did not. But we have the exact same thing today. There is no difference between today and a thousand years ago. You know, back then you had kings, you had uh, other kinds of rulers, you had emperors, you had uh, what, what, uh, Caesars, you had all these people, strong people, who had these powerful armies to conquer their neighbors, either for protection or to go actually be aggressive and conquer. What do we have today? What do we think of China? The Chinese government is a communist government led by one tyrannical leader, right? Xi Jinping. They have historically had a point of view different than America because of the way they see things. We see things in our lifetime. We see things through all the eyes of our children, raising kids, having families. We don't think about doing something a hundred years down the road where the Chinese do. They are an ancient people, thousands and thousands of years old, their nation, and they do see things a hundred years down the road. What is our plan for the next 50 years, 100 years? Well, obviously their plan now is to become the leading economic power in the world, the leading military power in the world, and subjugate the rest of the world to their beliefs. Now, this is not talking about the Chinese people. The Chinese people are like any other people. They're, they're good and decent people. It's the leadership, it's the government, it's the mentality of the leadership and government that is leading the Chinese people. Mostly, I would suggest, uh, it would seem to me, against the will of the people. They got the guns, the military, the bombs, and they will tell you, um, no, you're communist and you will do what we tell you. You will go to re-education camps when we send you. That is the history of it. What about the Soviet Union? That arose in, what, 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, and we had uh, Marx and, and Lenin, and then we had the rise of the Soviet Union and the great leaders and the communism on the modern face of the world. This is within our lifetimes. This is within our lifetimes we've had this. Is that any different than the, the Mongols back in the day or the, uh, the, the empires of, of years gone by? Genghis Khan would rule the world. The Romans, once again, is this any different today than we have then? We have the United States as a major power. The difference is, and people will make an argument that it's no really no different than any other group. It really is. This is what this is what makes America exceptional. We have all of this power, all of this wealth, and we do not go conquering our neighbors to take their stuff, to control them to demand that they be part of our empire. We don't do that. Now, I'm sure people can make uh, can make an argument, well, we do exploit other people. We do take advantage of other people's labor. We do take advantage of their, their natural resources. Yeah, we do. We do that economically, right? So the big thing now, uh, uh, the lithium. We need lithium and all of these, uh, these special uh, metals to make all of this modern technology that we're putting together. And it's found a lot of it in the continent of Africa. Do we go over there and send military troops to take over Africa and say, guess what? You're not part of the United States and we're going we're gonna to take these minerals. No, we buy them. 
But the argument can be made, well, we buy them and they, they have children digging them out. Well, that's true. That's, that's a sad reality of life. Uh, should we just say we don't buy them because we're against that? I don't know. That's a question we, we really have to answer. And as we move into the next uh, period of human life, we may have to make those decisions. Are we not willing to have the uh, minerals and the things that we need for our modern life if we have to buy them from countries that force children to dig them out of the ground? Because for all my friends on the left, you want all these electric cars and all this stuff. Uh, that's how that's how they get the minerals for that. They have children digging in holes to dig that stuff out. Uh, and you seem to think that that's, uh, that's perfectly acceptable cause, so that you can walk around and, uh, you know, virtue signal that I have an electric car. Look at me. I'm good for the planet. Meantime, the people who live on the planet are not having it so good. But I digress. So my, my bigger point here, and then I'm going to move on to some other stuff, is that the wave... The waves of change for humanity often come in fits and starts. They build and build and build, and then there's a moment that the change happens. And here in America, we feel immune to that. We feel immune to that kind of change. But let's go right into our history. Until we were developed as a country, we were a group of English colonies, Right? We, were, we were part of the British Empire. That's who we were. They came here, they established these colonies, and it was when the people living here got a taste of freedom, got a taste of, hey, listen, we are so far away from Britain, across an ocean, we should be able to control ourselves and do what we want. And that's, we had the rise of the, the movement to fight back one of those power. Again, it was a fight, wasn't it? It was a battle. The Revolutionary War. To throw off the power that be, the king, to throw him off and out of here and create our own country. This is my point that I'm trying to make, is that this all this talk about, you know, we, we should be so much different and so much better. I agree, we should be better as a, as a people, as a, as a world, uh, as human beings. But we are caught up in this system where we have power and we take things from other people or we protect ourselves and we beat them back, whatever. My point being about the Chinese and the Russians and the Americans, we are seeing the world devolve into these camps again, where the Chinese are pressing forward with their plan to take over. The Russians are aligning themselves with the Chinese because they're both tyrannical leaders. The United States is on the outside, and the rest of the world is making choices. Who are they going to side with, and what are they looking at? They're weighing their chances. They're looking at all of these societies and saying, okay, when the conflict comes, and it probably will come at some point, humanity teaches us that, history teaches us that, who's going to be the winner? And what side of that do I want to be on? So the fact that the Chinese are now working on displacing the United States dollar, the U.S. dollar, as the currency uh, of exchange is a big deal. We don't talk about it because, you know, it's boring talking economics. Who wants to talk about that stuff? I don't understand it all, right? But the reality is the U.S. dollar is the, is the thing in which petrol, oil is traded in, all these different things around the world. The U.S. dollar as a stable government uh, money is used all around the world. Well, the Chinese want to control the world economically. 
So they're trying to come up with a new type of currency. Now, I think from what I've heard about it, they're going to go back to the gold standard. It's going to be worth gold. So who has the most gold is going to have the most money. And are they moving out of the Chinese area? Well, we see the Chinese run the, uh, the Panama Canal. How is that possible? We see that they're trying to make inroads into South America. Why, why would the Chinese be over here doing that? They created islands in the Pacific. They built islands for military bases. What's that for? To choke off the movement of vehicles and supplies and everything else around the world to control that. This is a hundred year plan and they're engaged in it. The Russians are choosing to go along with them because, you know, right now Putin is the leader. He won't be here forever, but there will be another tyrannical leader who'll come up behind him because those people don't relinquish power. Let's now look at the United States. So the whole world is watching the rise of China. They have been building their military steadily for the last 20 years into a very, very potent military to overcome the American military. That was their whole plan. How do they build a military that is powerful enough to not only survive against the United States in a conflict, but to win. And they're doing that. Economically, they're huge. Now, sure, their economy's having a little problem right now, but are our companies pulling out of China and coming home and saying, you know what? No. Are we not selling them technology? Are we not selling them uh, advanced uh computers of course we why because it makes money we are we are destroying ourselves but i'm going in a different road there the world is choosing and now the world turns around and sends its gaze to the united states let's see who should we pick in this big fight that's coming it's definitely coming i, I see it coming because you can't have uh, all the factors leading up to what, what we're seeing here you know the building militarily economically uh, the land stretching out, having control over things. You can't see those things happening and not have realized that's what has happened in the past always and forever. And therefore, what has happened in the past is more likely to happen in the future. That's why I say I know it's coming. So the whole world is watching, trying to choose sides. And now they look at America. And what do they see in America? Well, at one point they saw uh, a nation, a powerful nation of people who believed in freedom and liberty, who were willing to send their young men and women around the globe to die in foreign lands to preserve freedom and liberty, especially at home, but around the world, to protect people around the world, to save Europe again and again and again and again. That's what they saw. They saw a people united who maybe had different, different ideas about how to move forward and to do things, but still had the same basis of understanding and love for their country, love for their fellow citizen, and the desire for the rule of law, free speech, all the things enshrined in our Constitution and Bill of Rights. We saw the political parties go back and forth uh, in elections, trying different things. It is the rise in the modern world after the 1960s to where we are today that I see a change in America. Don't you see it? Did you ever think you would see a day in America where the concept of free speech would come under fire? That maybe we should curtail some free speech. Free speech we don't like. Free speech of ideas that, that, 
we, we, we finally realize are so wrong, they shouldn't be allowed to be spoken. And anyone who does, we should use the power of government to put them in jail. Lock them up. Do you not see the fundamental change taking place in America? When you have a media who is a shrine, enshrined in the Constitution, right, to be a free press, the whole idea was so that the press would report honestly about whatever the government was doing, no matter who the government was, what party, what philosophy, the media would cast a, an eye of scrutiny on everything they were doing and report on it. Do we have that today? I think we all joke about fake news. Oh, it's fake news. It's, it's become a punchline. But the reality is we see the, the majority of the media has taken sides and they have decided to go with the socialist progressive uh, point of view of the world and where the United States should go. And therefore, information that we all need to make decisions is limited. We see the power of government currently right now. Uh, we've seen this rise in government being willing to use its power to, to uh, further its, its goals uh, like never before. You know, I think it's pretty clear that it's pretty clear that the Biden administration is using the power of government, the power of the legal system, to further its goals, to maintain its hold on power. Now, I, I, I think if, you, if you're honest about it and you look, you cannot say there's not a two-tier set of justice. If you do certain things, you will be held to account and be put in prison. If the elites and those on the left and the progressives do things, they will not be held to account. They will not be punished. They will not be uh, rebuked. This creates that two-tier system of government that people are, of justice that people are talking about, and it really is true. So we look at Hunter Biden, and you know, we, how, we don't we get sick and tired of Hunter Biden stories constantly because it never moves forward. We see the Justice Department, which should be independent, as I suggest, two attorney generals, one from each party, that would certainly um, at least slow down the corruption. We see the FBI, not the agents in the field who are, they're really cops doing the right thing. We see their leadership is politicized. They use the power that they have to come to your house with a warrant, search warrant, arrest warrant, and take you away. What are you going to do about it? You're going to do nothing about it. You can't fight that when they show up at your house, right? You can't do anything. Therefore, you are at a disadvantage. If you do something, they will come and get you. Hunter Biden does all of these things right out in the open. We see Joe Biden, the president of the United States, clearly involved in some type of corruption, selling the power of his office to, in, to enrich himself. The press doesn't talk about it. They ignore it. They make excuses for it. And anyone who goes against it has a federal agent knocking at their door. We see the silencing of points of view. We see attacks on people. We see these things every single day. So when the world sees this, when the world sees this bastion of freedom, this powerhouse of America starting to eat its own, so to speak, when we see this consternation that you can't count on this government, you see weakness in the American leadership 
We see these ridiculous fights we're fighting about here. These cultural issues should remain a cultural issue. The government shouldn't be getting involved in these cultural issues. They should be worrying about the limited things that they should be worried about, making sure we have a strong defense, making sure we, uh, you know, the, the trains run on time, uh, making sure that the things that we need as a people are done by government. There's very limited things that they should do. And we don't see that. We see the ever-increasing hand of government go from a velvet glove to a steel glove, and it's tightening its grip around all of us. So the two-tier system of justice is a frightening thing because when they can use the power of government, when they can use the law against you, you have no recourse. You will be silenced. You will be removed. You know, the whole cancel culture thing that's out there, where you said something we don't like. Okay, the way we deal with that is we don't buy that person's product or we don't invite them to the party. We don't use the power of government to lock them up and put them in jail. We don't destroy their lives and career. Right? That's not, that's not appropriate. It's not right to cancel people like that. Now, people who commit crimes, yeah, they should be arrested, charged, uh, and, and suffer the consequences of their criminal activity. But we don't see that fairly applied. And Hunter Biden, while it's cliche now, and Joe Biden, is that we all see this and nothing's being done. But we all know that if you do something, you will be held to account. And that creates this, this bucket of tension that is filling and filling and filling. When we see the two uh, basic forms of, of concepts of how we should live, socialist, communist, and freedom in traditional America, butting heads every single day. Can you believe in America that there are school boards who believe they should have more control over your children than you do because you're a hater? And we have to protect the children from your hate. Well, I, I, I could see why they would say that. I could see why they might think that because they care about the children. You know, they care about kids. I know teachers. Teachers love those children. They absolutely love those kids. But the reality is that's not the place of the school. It's up to the parents. If a parent is a particularly bad parent and they inflict pain and punishment on their child because of, of their child's, uh, who the child is then the law should step in and punish those parents. The school should not be making decisions about people's children, the moms and dads. Now, it's amazing to have to even say a thing like that, that the moms and dads should really have the say over what, what happens with their children. You know, today, those are fighting words. That is the cultural divide that we are on. You know, the whole idea of banning books. I saw a story the other day about banning books. And you see on social media once in a while, uh, somebody will post something about banning books. And I saw a meme the other day. There was um, a group out front and they were listing, uh, like they were standing at a table, you know, an informational thing. And there was a woman standing there and they said, these are the books that we want to ban. And you see the, the woman taking the list. Next thing you know, she's standing in front of a bunch of children going, this is our reading list. And the whole idea is that banning books is bad. Banning books is bad. It absolutely is. Every idea should be out there for you to examine, for you to think about, for you to digest, for you to put your own thoughts and feelings to it. Maybe you learn something. 
Maybe you change your point of view based on what you read. That's all good. Um, but that means that there's all kinds of stuff out there. The problem that we have with our schools is that some of the things that they want to put out to the children do not match what the parents want the children to be taught. Now, that seems like a very basic thing. If the parents don't want certain things taught, that's not because they're not banning books because they're banning the ideas. They're saying, don't teach my children that. Teach my children to read, write, do mathematics, to uh, think, to do, you know, understand the world history so that they can see the world as it is and go forward. All the social issues have a place. Of course they do. The arguments about what we should do socially, about people's feelings and how people, that's all good. But that's not a place for government, and it's not a place in our schools. Schools should be about educating our children, not all this other social stuff, because it gets too, too deep into people's lives, and it, it causes part of the conflagration we're seeing now. Right? So I'm not opposed to people being exposed to every idea that's out there, and then we make a decision. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? But the reality is for one side to say, we'll determine what's good and bad is not correct, right? It's not correct. So the idea of banning books uh, like they did back in the day, you know, put them in a pile and burn them so you can't have them. No, I think they should be available, all of these ideas. But the reality is if we do that and we, we, we choose sides, it causes the problem. It causes the consternation that we're dealing with. Okay, so I think, I hope I've made my, my point. So one of the things I saw out there in the news recently, we saw in Minnesota after the George Floyd um, death, we saw the, one of the major changes start to evolve in America, this, this attack uh, on traditional America. This was fuel for that. George Floyd did not deserve to die for what he did. He did not deserve to die. And there's controversy in what happened. Was he on drugs? Was he not on drugs? You know, we won't be told the truth. We saw the, um, you saw the autopsy, and he was filled with enough fentanyl to kill people, and he died. But what the cop did was wrong. He should not have kneeled on his neck. Absolutely wrong. And he should have been handcuffed and placed in the back of the police car, and that would have been the end of it. So all of that, there for all sides of that, you can see bad stuff, no matter what happened there. And that led to this big movement we're dealing with today, right? The defund the police movement, dismantle the police, get rid of the police. The police are bad. The police are all racist. Police only come after certain people, which is not true. None of that is true. There are, of course, racist police officers. There are racist people in every group, in every job, in everything. There's people there. They are not the majority, and that is not how police departments in America function. Hey, let's go get this guy because he's a this. Let's go get her because she's a this. Nobody, nobody does that. An individual might do that, and we root them out and get rid of them when we find them. But in general, the large population, the ones who protect us every day, the law enforcement men and women today, are not that. That is a myth that people make up. But we saw this huge defund the police movement, right? It, it swept across the country. What is the result of that crime running rampant? 
people being attacked in broad daylight now. Shoplifting groups that come in and clean out stores to the point that they have to go out of business. We see people being injured, being sexually assaulted, being attacked, murdered, all over the place, and no response. No response, no effective response. Because, you know, oh, then you'd have to put people in jail and arrest them, and we don't want that because, you know, uh, all of this weakness of policy and of understanding human nature just leads to more and more crime. Well, recently, uh, in Minnesota, which is really the, the epicenter after the George Floyd death, there's a politician out there, and I'm going to try and get her name right. It's a, it's a lengthy name, and I'm going to try and say it correct. Shivanthi Sathan Anadan. Shivanthi Sathan Anadan. She is the second vice chairman of the Minnesota Democratic Farm and Labor Party. Party. And unfortunately for her, she was carjacked in front of her children by four individuals with guns. She was beaten and bloodied and left on the side of the road. The police came and attended to her, did the right thing, tried to help her, and she came out with great praise for the police. Which is funny because two years ago, she was coming out and tweeting and screaming and hollering at the top of her lungs, dismantle the police, dismantle the police, dismantle the police. But now she was victimized by criminals who are functioning because of her ideology and her policy. And that's what's happening all across this country. That is why crime is out of control. Because we had an idea that it's wrong, it's wrong the way we enforce the law. And therefore we won't enforce the law. And people who are prone to crime don't go, well, at least they'll leave us alone now. We'll all be good. No, they say, hey, now I see weakness and I'll attack. So this is where I wanted to, to at least get these ideas out there and get you thinking. You know, I, I, I try and think these things through so I have a better understanding of our world and where we're going and what we're doing. A lot of change is coming and we need to talk more and more about it. So, hey, listen, do what you can to make the world a better place. We are all in this together, all of us. We're Americans. Where do we want our country to go? That's the question. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you down the road.